0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Taunushta and Minister for Foreign Affairs, Minister for Defence, Mihal Martin, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Yeah. Now, we'll talk about uh, Ireland's position on the whole Israel uh, Hamas conflict, but what is your reaction to the strike by the Israelis on what is termed a refugee camp?
1: Uh, I was shocked by, by, by that stri- strike on the Jabalaya uh, refugee camp. Uh, and the deaths of many, many um, civilians. We don't exactly have the exact figures um, yet, but I watched it last evening. Um, whole families destroyed, um, killed, um, fathers um, talking about losing the, you know, their, their children. It's horrific and it's not justifiable. And um, in our view, it, it adds pressure to the need to have a humanitarian uh, pause here, a humanitarian ceasefire to enable aid to get mm-hmm. in. Now, now, there because are people
0: in, struggling with that uh, difference between a pause and a yeah. ceasefire. The Israelis say no ceasefire. The British say no ceasefire. The US says no ceasefire. Um, they are contemplating pausing. Uh, and there is a significant uh, difference in the two from the Israeli perspective.
1: There is indeed. And in fact, the United Nations resolution, which we supported last week, called it a humanitarian truce or a, a truce. Uh, did, and I understand Israel has a right to go after Hamas. And, and to deal with Hamas. There is an issue of proportionality here because when you bomb a refugee camp, which is uh, a town in itself of, of long duration, it's there for many, many decades, uh, there's no doubt um, many, many civilians will be killed, children will be killed. And I do not believe it was a proportional attack last evening in any shape or form. Um, and uh, and that's where there's, there's, there's a real issue Uh, uh, Israel will identify and I I understand will say a ceasefire means we can't go after Hamas. Um, Of course Hamas would have to declare a ceasefire as well and people forget that that they're still uh, sending rockets and so on across uh, the, the the border, um, but uh, but but the pressure is so great on the civilian population now, and the United Nations agencies are saying to us that this is a catastrophe, a human catastrophe happening before our very eyes, that it demands a pause uh, in in the initial phase. Uh, nobody is saying that Israel does not have a, a right to go after Hamas after. The
0: murder well, they, of they have so many Israeli civilians. They've maintained that they uh, <coughs> killed a key Hamas leader and also uh, by hitting that particular target that they collapsed the tunnels that were beneath that target and therefore they degraded Hamas's ability to uh, respond and indeed to hide. Um, that question of proportionality is a very difficult one because they are permitted, it appears, under the rules of war, even to target a hospital if people are being deliberately used as human shields, which it it seems an extraordinary provision, but they are quoting it in their own support. I think
1: there's a moral question. uh, There's a legal question. Mm. Uh, The ICC, the International Criminal Court, who are very clear that they have jurisdiction uh, in in, in the Middle East, ultimately decides on what constitutes um, a war crime or not. But in my view... I mean, what, what what is Israel saying that if we take out a commander of Hamas uh, and some underground tunnels, that that's worth how many hundred lives? Is that the moral question that's been put before us? I'm very clear on what side I'm on in that. That mm. you cannot knowingly take out uh, hundreds of civilians who are not Hamas uh, because of the cowardly um, and unacceptable and illegal use of 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 civilians as human shields. I mean, is Israel is a state? It's a, it's a democratic state. Uh, we have we, we do expect higher standards from states, as opposed to non-state actors generally. Uh, the, the rules of war apply to both state and non-state actors, uh, and by any yardstick, if you watch the scenes uh, at the refugee camp last evening. Uh, where mothers and fathers um, were, were emerging, um, one man saying, all my children are dead. All my children are dead. And um, it's horrific. Um, and there has to be proportionality applied here from t- through a moral lens.
0: Um, opinion used to be pretty divided in Israel uh, about the conduct of the Netanyahu government. But what happened uh, earlier with the incursion by Hamas they lost in the process, it seems, a thousand of their um, volunteers, uh, many of whom were prepared to die for the, the, the cause. But in Israel, where the equivalent to happen here by comparison of populations, we would have lost 800 Irish people on the mm-hmm. day. We would have lost maybe 150 people at electric picnic, if you put it in that way. Absolutely, yeah. And that helps to understand perhaps <laughs> the anger that has unified Israel and how perhaps normally moral people overlook what their government is doing. I fully
1: understand that point. And I was very clear at the beginning uh, of all of this to identify that and to reflect on that, that this is the, the Hamas attack. Not only was it barbaric, but the scale of it in the context per capita of Israel was huge. I think someone at a European Council meeting said it was equivalent to 10,000 French people. Yeah being killed 50,000 um, Americans yeah. so that is enormous and we've got to understand that and uh, there have been times when that hasn't been understood um, and uh, in all of the talks I've had with various foreign ministers in the region um, you know, they, they do understand that uh, But and for us who are some distance from it uh, we obviously want to move to a more rational strategic approach as to how to deal with this whereas if you are living in Israel you are very very angry with what has happened because the deeds were quite uh, barbaric in terms of how people were killed and children and and, and so forth and uh, elderly uh, people. Um, And these were all civilians going about their their normal lives. Uh, And and, uh, so we can't underestimate the impact on the Israeli psyche and that is leading to what is uh, a a very, very strong uh, military incursion into Gaza and bombardment of Gaza. But then... Um, what, what what emerges from that then is the enormous
0: suffering of, of Gazans. Does Ireland have any ro- role to play on its own? Uh, I mean, we have a history ourselves of, you know, armed insurrection at various points throughout our history. We have the provisional IRA terrorism campaign that went on, uh, and on the other side also. And uh, of course, British Army uh, collusion and security force collusion. We've had all of that in our history. Is there anything about us that can act in as honest brokers uh, be helpful or would uh, we be better off speaking with the, the voice of the EU? I think we we work within the
1: European Union. We speak independently. Uh, so, for example, at the United Nations resolution, Europe didn't vote as a bloc and there were about eight EU member states who supported the resolution. The key component of that resolution was to seek a humanitarian truth, um, to allow aid to, to get in. Uh, and... Um, So that's one aspect of Ireland's, and we work within the European Union to bring others to our viewpoint, uh, which is that in any conflict like this, a military solution on its own is not going to suffice. That there has to be a a multidimensional approach to this. There has to be a political track. There has to be a humanitarian track. um, And there has to be talks at some stage. uh, Because one fears now that what's happening in Gaza will create new generations, of, of mm-hmm. radicalism and hardline. And we saw that in the early 1970s in, 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 in Ireland. So we, even if they eliminate
0: Hamas, there'll be Hamas too, or provisional Hamas. That, that or would,
1: That would be whatever. my sense, yeah. And that, uh, you know, given the suffering that's no, that people are now enduring in Gaza, um, that that's very much a possibility, uh, if not a likelihood. Speaking um, to
0: Duncan Bullivant this morning, uh, he was saying that the Israeli tactic is to basically exhaust the arsenal of Hamas. You know, they'll have exhausted all their rockets that they've pegged into Israel Um, their ammunition will be either destroyed or uh, inaccessible to them and that's what they're after and that's why they don't want to ceasefire yet they haven't reached that point
1: I think that's a fair assessment and I think there's no doubt that there will be um, a military impact here on Hamas and and that Hamas's capacity I think will be severely dented um, as a result of, 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 of this Um, That would be my own understanding. I'm not a military expert, um, uh, but but ultimately where does all this lead to? Uh, And I think fundamentally it has to lead uh, to a political track where there's once and for all a determined um, attempt to try and resolve the Mm -hmm. fundamentals of creating a Palestinian state that lives in harmony alongside uh, the state of Israel. Can you see that uh, coming about with Netanyahu as prime minister? I don't see it coming about in the short term, regrettably. Um, And um, although I do sense internationally um, a collective view that we cannot let things continue in the aftermath of this, as was happening before um, uh, this. And there was a sense that the two-state solution had run into the sand, so so to speak, it wasn't going anywhere. And meanwhile, you had the settlements in the West Bank Um, and that was getting more extreme Um, and uh, again there was greater degree of displacement of Palestinians on the West Bank and all of that was uh, really, if you like, re- making the whole idea of a two-state solution somewhat and uh, non-viable, yeah. um, and I think we need to re- restore that to some degree. Yeah. But in, in 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 the meantime, I think what we have to focus on is the humanitarian plight yeah. of of those living in Gaza. It's right?
0: very hard to see the geographic outlines of a two-state uh, solution. Very given hard. the strip is here and the West Bank is over there, and There is no link. There's no... Yeah, I've
1: just come back from there. I was out there for about four days before this outbreak. It was quite depressing leaving there um, because the situation was clearly becoming worse. The Palestinian Authority did not have the same authority, perhaps, as it once had within the West Bank itself. Um, And um, so so the situation is not good, you know, in terms of trying to create something out of this uh, that that would be uh, strong and viable ultimately. Um, But we, we, we have to try... And we have to focus on uh, dialogue on a political track and also to bring forward the voices of moderation within Palestine, within the Palestinian uh, uh, political world because I think to a certain extent policies were undermining uh, the Palestinian authority and, and, and moderation within Palestinians which allowed uh, extremists like Hamas come to the fore and do their bloody deeds which have now plunged Uh, the whole situation into an an appalling catastrophic Mm. situation for for Gazans and for people more
0: generally across the Middle East and then there's a regional potential of escalation. Mm. And our Uh, troops are (coughs) um, working there, serving there in the region and they will be replaced as normal, there's no uh, holding back There will be, I mean we're part of a
1: wider unified operation with thousands of troops from countries all over the world who are present in Lebanon it's led by a Spanish force commander at the moment, and Spain and Italy have strong contingents as well, and um, with Ireland from from a EU perspective. And we're with a Polish contingent uh, in Irish Palbat. So uh, I reviewed uh, troops yesterday who will be uh, moving out to replace those uh, who are already there. Our job is to keep the peace. Our
0: job is to look after civilians in the event of any. Uh, increased escalation. But we are committed um, to the UNIFIL operation. I mean, that's what we're there for. If the going gets tough, we're not going to get going out of there. We're going to stay.
1: Yeah, that is that's, that, that's that is it. I mean, uh, and obviously, we work with UNIFIL and the United Nations um, in this respect. We've been here before in terms of the 70s and in terms of the early 2000s uh, when there was um, war going on and so forth. So it's, it's something we don't want to see, of course. And uh, we're working. And again, part of the conversations I've been having and a general consensus that everything must be done to try and avoid regional escalation in Lebanon or elsewhere.
0: Now, politics continues at home and you've got the Ardesh coming up at the weekend. Um, the agenda, I mean, you're coming one way or the other towards the end of this uh, term of government. You know, early 2025 might be the deadline. Who knows? Um you know, the problems of housing and health were the problems that you came into the government with. <coughs> they still remain. You can use the pandemic as a kind of a, an excuse. But at the same time, if you sorted out childcare, health, housing... You'd be home free. That's not what's happened. Well, I think,
1: first of all, okay, the pandemic, not an excuse to happen, it was reality. But uh, I think over the last two years there's been substantial progress on housing. Um, I think last year we exceeded our targets. This year looks a very good year as well. Uh, So there is momentum in terms of house building and in terms of supplies. I mean, the number of social houses we're now building is at record levels compared to previous years. So the last two to three years in particular. So we'll be over 10,000 social houses provided. Um, and then we're up to 30,000 houses will be completed. That the, At the end of quarter three of this year, we're looking at the highest numbers uh, since the the,
0: the, the the 2008 2009 yeah. period, and so so, so, on. so the,
1: the housing, are, the, the supply, supply
0: is you, coming. If you hadn't had the interruption, you might have. Uh, I think we been a better. We'd have been in
1: yeah. a better position without COVID. The two lockdowns in yeah. COVID yeah. certainly hit it. But I think the most important thing: there's a trend there. There's a momentum there, uh, which I mm. which we have to continue. Now,
0: when we talk about houses, we're not really talking about houses. We're talking about apartments and houses. Um, of them, many yeah. of the people they'll be living in their home for life, which will be an apartment rather than a house. And, um, and there is concern that the number of houses, the apartments that are being built are all for rent. Certainly in my area. All the blocks, block after block, hundreds and hundreds of apartments, and they're all going to be rented. Now that is consigning a whole generation to a lifetime of renting and, you know, the uh, inaffordability perhaps of that at the end of their working lives. That,
1: that is, that clearly is an issue, although we're pushing very strongly in, in terms of home ownership um, and um, in, in particular the land development agency is. Uh, we reduce the costs during
0: the year in terms of the development levies and, 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 and
1: other costs. But developers so have try seen the, income, to try and give greater viability. Saying, Why
0: should we sell these things when we get two and a half grand a month for life this is our pension fund. Well, many of them were saying to us that the building of apartments
1: wasn't viable for quite some time. They're still actually. doing it in um, Spain. And um, but not to the degree, actually, that we would like more apartments and we'd like more housing. We need higher supply mm-hmm. on both fronts. It's not one against the other. We have developed cost rental schemes Uh, which we really want to expand. That's a new concept, relatively speaking, in Ireland. Uh, But that is growing a pace which would give greater affordability for people on the rent side. Um, But clearly, through the First Home Scheme in particular and others, we are making um, units more affordable for people to buy Mm. as
0: well. Now, um, on the horizon all the time is the next election. And if you look at the polls, Sinn Féin are, are doing very well. And the prospect might be um, that this current government of Greens, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael might not have the numbers to, to make a government of, uh, to repeat the current exercise. Sinn Féin might be trying to form a government and they might come to Fianna Fáil and say, we need your help to form a government, but you will be the minority partner. What say you, Míol No, I mean, I
1: think uh, I think the current government, um, if you look at the numbers, even though I'm not I think some of the polls, methodol- from a methodol- methodological point of view, are not uh, ideal in terms of some of the internet panel polling. But leave that to one side. Um, you know, the, the, the current government could. There could be. There are other parties in the in the dial as well that we have to factor in. And then you have a large. You will have a large swathe of independence, It seems to me. So we have a very fragmented dial pattern. Mm. Any of the scenarios that you've mentioned um, in terms of parties uh, forming governments could emerge. But it seems to me that the. The centre ground of, of politics is where
0: this will actually... No, the one You, that you are the most popular leader, according to the self-same polls, whether you choose to believe it or not. Uh, you don't seem to have any kind of challenge within your own party to your leadership. But were there to be an opportunity to stay in power, but as the minority partner to Sinn Féin, what, well, where would that
1: would put we- you... Well, we find ourselves in, in, in terms of like like the Sinn Féin policies are not, in our view, uh, ones that we, we are aligned with our policy platform. I think they're fundamentally anti-enterprise. I think in any difficult situation they'd find themselves in. They would tax more of, of that. I, I have no doubt. They're instinctively anti-European Union. Um, and and we've seen that on a number of fronts Um, and um, so I think there are fundamental problems in in terms of such a You accused
0: uh, Sinn Féin of infecting a new generation of young people. What did you mean? What is the nature of that infection?
1: Well I think no. the the, the context there was and it's a big problem I think generally speaking that Sinn Féin endeavours to um, justify the war of 30 years that they uh, waged where the majority of people who were killed were civilians. You were talking about it in terms of some of the bomb explosions and so yeah. on earlier. Um, I mean, innocent civilians and, and so forth in the in Warrington, you, uh, Bloody Friday,
0: uh, were killed. And up. as we mentioned yesterday in the interview about the new book about Don Tidy, the number of Gardaí that yes. were killed by uh, the IRA uh, in in the name of their movement. Uh, also, John Joe McGurl is celebrated in Ballinamore in that area, whereas... Uh, the the private and the guard, the recruit who were killed are not are not so yeah. fated, and, but yet
1: what Sinn Fein want to do is to sort of create the narrative that this was all justified, um, and and it was the right thing to do, and indeed they still triumphalize that. That's a fundamental moral problem, and I think we we have an obligation as we evolve in, as a maturer society uh, to really talk about. In a more objective, impartial way about taking the gun out of Irish politics and saying it's not a good idea.
0: But to but see, aims. they will throw back at you that uh, your own party walked out of the Doyle uh, and did not re- return until De Valera got himself uh, elected. You know that, that you were the dissident voices who actually carried guns into the chamber. Well, the Fianna Fáil party was founded in 1926
1: uh, as a breakaway from what was the anti-treaty Third Sinn Féin party. Um, so in, any, in, in many respects, Fianna Fáil represented a break from the Civil War uh, and represented a new movement uh, and would not have grown if it didn't broaden itself to take on board uh, social economic issues in the urban areas uh, as well as rural um, issues uh, such as land annuities and so on like that. So I think that's, in in our view, the whole idea of Fianna and its foundation was to move away from sterile abstentionism of the anti-treaty movement in the immediate aftermath of the civil war. And that's why it expanded, uh, particularly into the town's in cities like Cork and Dublin very early on in 1927 elections and the 1932 Mm. election. And if you look at all of the narrative around that time, as I did, I studied it, uh, the, the narrative is around constitutional politics, it's around social economic politics and that's what, what, how Fianna Fáil emerged. Yeah. But I think, I would say in the decade of centenaries, and here's the difference, the state, in a more mature way, looked back at at, at the war of independence, warts and all. And we didn't try and hide stuff or or triumphalise everything. And I think it was a far more matured scholarship has emerged through the decade of centenaries. But what did Sinn Féin do? They hired a building in Dublin and created an alternative narrative around the the War of Independence 1916 um, uh, which in our view was very much a distortion of history uh, and wouldn't be part of the wider state uh, decade of centenary approach which I think looked at Mm -hmm. things more broadly allowed more scholarship to come forward But does it matter to uh, That's important
0: to people today Does it matter uh, to an arena full of people singing to the Wolf Tones? The, I, I, the, is this the kind of infection you're talking about? Well, I mean,
1: I mean look, people listen to the... The, the only issue there is people listened to the Wolf Tones in the 1970s as well. Uh, and mm-hmm. the 1980s. One would have thought we'd moved on from that. Uh, and that's my point. We should fight to move on from that. Uh, and not wallow in that. Uh, which is a, a cul-de-sac mm-hmm. that really shouldn't go down again. Uh, um, because the, I think the, too many people suffered on the island. You know, and we also have to reconcile... Uh, with people from a different tradition on this island, and that should be the focus. And you don't reconcile with other traditions as you keep poking them mm. and keep insulting
0: them. Such was the sensitivity of our own civil war. I remember when I was at school many years ago, uh, our history, Irish history, stopped at 1916 because the, the narrative was kind of simple. Didn't get to the, the oh. civil war uh, really because that was too, still uh, too divisive. But what should be taught in our schools? I mean, you uh, said about a recent documentary about the murder of Thomas Niedermeyer um, that it was sobering. And we talked about it yesterday, how his wife took her own life. Two daughters took their own lives and another member of the family on foot of what had happened to Thomas Niedermeyer at the hands of the provost. Yeah, I think we, we, we should, those stories should be told more
1: because they tell people and young people in particular, violence is not glorious violence and trauma leaves terrible impacts on families and on people. Um, and I think what we should also look for good examples. I mean, I was at the commemoration of Noel Lamass recently. Now, he had a horrible death during the Civil War. His brother, Sean Lamass, went on to become a leader and a modern leader of Ireland. And he was asked for his views on that. And he simply said, terrible things were done on both sides. We need to move on. And we that's the kind of approach we need. I, I met the, the Fuller family who were... One of their family was a surviving member of the Balacidi atrocity during the civil war. It was very interesting. He never told his kids, or he never wanted about it, and he never wanted to create in them a new generation of hate and and sort of bitterness. And he was determined that his family would move on from that atrocity. And that's the, the spirit we need. But we also need to explain to people that violence creates unbelievable trauma. It's not something that should be glorified mm. or triumphalized. And the more you read in history and the more you go through biographies of individuals, you see as their lives evolve post conflict, many of them had terrible lives. Many emigrated to America on both sides of the Civil War, um, had terrible lives, not good lives, and they were in many ways ostracized from the, the new state. So it's not glorious, is my point. Mm. Finally, Thanos, you're heading to China. Uh, what's your mission? Well, obviously, we we have strong relationships with China um, in terms of economic and social relationships and have had over the last 30 years um, and there's um, a lot
0: of anti-China sentiment around. I think there's a new
1: era in terms of how relationships with China is developing, particularly in the European Union um, and, and and China, for example, the uh, United States and, and China. Um, I would have given a speech at the Irish Academy last year setting out the Irish framework within which we think the relationship should be developed. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it revolves around what we call de-risking as opposed to decoupling. So we want to maintain or economic, cultural, and social links. Mm. And which what I are the risks? Those. But I think we have to be clear-eyed um, in terms of potential uh, technological issues, in terms of uh, the, the penetration of technology. We need to uh, assess that um, and, and, and in terms of its impacts on our own industry and so on, and, 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 and um, other aspects. So, uh, And also then we have strong commitment to human rights um, and we shouldn't be afraid in in raising those issues. You will be raising those in China? Yeah, we will, yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. And um, no, I have met with... Chinese Foreign Minister in Munich last year. And we had uh, a good, robust conversation about a range of issues. Ukraine, for example, the war in Ukraine. To give the European perspective on that, uh, and also, you know, ministers have been renewing their engagement. Aim and Ryan mm. met recently with his counterpart in China, and they had very good discussions on climate I and and how to globally I mean, work China, together in terms of COP
0: twenty eight. China so is flexing economic muscles <clears throat> all over the place in Australia, in Africa, but. Do you think that China should flex its political muscles a bit more and get involved in Israel, for example, in Ukraine? I
1: think China is a very powerful country globally. We, we believe at the United Nations it has a very significant role to play. Um, we would be pushing China, for example, in respect of the war in Ukraine, um, where um, you know, it has influence over Russia. It has exercised that in the context of nuclear restraint, for example, um, and would appear to have put down uh, clear benchmarks in terms of Uh, the limits to which that uh, um, conflict should be pursued. Um, But we would equally say to China that it it must strongly assert and support the territorial integrity of Ukraine. Um, And um, so obviously those are conversations we we will have. Um, It is a global player of that, there is no doubt. It's economic strength is such and scale that it it impacts on the wider world there's no getting away from that Mm -hmm. but it can play a very constructive role and has in some areas particularly in we feel in climate uh, it has been quite constructive Um, and um, you know I think the the key is the world is not in a good place at the moment Um, there's conflict everywhere um, and across Africa, the whole sustainable development goals are going in reverse. Uh, more and more people are, are, are dying from hunger uh, and at risk of starvation. So we need uh, major uh, influences like China and powers like China to put the shoulders to the wheel with uh, others, uh, European yeah. Union included, as partners to deal with the existential questions that face so many people across the world right
0: now. Don, and me all, Martin. Thank you very much for joining us in studio.